This week's podcast brought to you by Canned Meat. Our son, once again, is in the throes of uh, poison ivy contracted from the dogs, uh, presumably when he wrapped himself in a blanket that the dogs sometimes find themselves wrapped in. When we discovered this uh, yesterday morning while the others were at school, and as a result, last night, our youngest said to me while I was standing in the kitchen, and she was in the kitchen, and our high school sophomore was on the couch in the family room, our youngest said with some some glee, Dad, M is wrapped in the poison ivy blanket, to which M said, What? Sprang from the couch and threw it off. <laughs> Well, last week, producer Denny Gallagher thought I sounded like Will Arnett, Lego Batman. Whenever we've watched the Lego show, because there was a stretch, one of our kids really it was enjoying it. Um, the whole time I thought, like, that can't possibly be his actual voice. Like, he's trying to do that with his voice. Is that his actual voice? I don't know. I mean, you, you put on an, an announcer voice for when you're on TV. But it's not, it's not like that. And a Will high Arnett's. grand voice for when you're talking to your grandmother. Yeah. Will Arnett's voice, when I used to talk to my grandmother, Will Arnett's voice is just when, when it comes out of, when he opens his mouth and you hear his voice, it is kind of like yours last week. It's, wait a minute, what? How could somebody possibly have a voice like that? But why wouldn't you use your natural voice on TV? I do use my natural voice on TV. You Some, just said you have a TV no, voice. It, no, I, I use my natural voice on TV. I just, um, I'm a lot like, I have to like manufacture energy. You have to be like five times more energetic than, than a sane human being would. Right, in a normal conversation. Like I would never speak in a normal conversation the way I do like when I'm calling a game. Not so much in studio, but more when we're calling the game. Remember when I was in college, we took a tour of ESPN. I mean, it's the first time I had ever, ever like watched um some of the anchors do sports center, you know, not through a television. And I remember my, the thing that struck me more than anything was like, holy cow, they're so loud and they're so energized. And then when you watch on TV, it sounds normal. But in order for that to sound normal, there's this extra energy and volume that they have in this in this empty studio, which is a little bit weird. And when I first started calling games right out of college, like the the bosses and the producers kept telling me, you need more energy, you need more energy. I'm like, what are you talking about? I need more energy. Then I would listen back and you're like, oh, now I understand what they mean when you need more energy. So if you ever, like if people ever have an opportunity to watch it, even the newscast or a sports cast in person, it sounds super loud and like just not a normal conversational tone. But when you're watching it through the television, it seems normal. The camera adds 10 pounds and it would removes about 10 uh, decibels <laughs> yeah, it removes a lot of energy yeah somehow. it does it's a really weird it's a, it's it's really a weird thing and and ryan ruco your your broadcast partner he's he's he comes through the television as being energetic which requires whatever energy he's bringing to the broadcast requires what about it's about three times that in person yeah probably, sitting next to him probably well, but his, probably you're there but in his energy is so genuine and real. Oh, clearly. Because um, sometimes you, you, if you listen to people do, calling sporting events, it sounds like they're manufacturing energy. With Ryan, it sounds real because it is. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's a weird thing. I don't know why why television kind of sucks the energy 
out of the audio or, or however it would be described. And if you're a golf announcer, you have to do the opposite. You have to take whatever your natural energy is and reduce it by 85%. You know what? I've never heard like somebody doing a golf broadcast like while in the room. I wonder if that's actually the case or if it's you just you still have the energy, but you're just the volume is different. I don't know. And then, and then where does podcasting fall into that? Is this your natural, normal voice? I think so, isn't it? I, I think so. Yeah, this is your natural voice. I mean, last week wasn't. You had somebody else. You had somebody else's voice box last week, but you're back to normal. I, I think. know. I, I liked last week's voice. I wish I could have that a lot. I know I, it was kind of nice, actually. I, got, I liked it too. I got out of the shower one day, singing uh, baritone songs in the shower, and and my voice was so rumbly, and my chest, my, my sternum was vibrating, like a tuning fork that I. I I don't have it with me now, but I created a voice memo on my phone. I think I played it for you. It didn't sound human. It sounded like a robot's yeah. voice, and I kind of liked it. What's it, it? It, it fit my, my personality, a, a robotic, non-human, human-like voice. What's interesting, though, to me is that you think like your voice is your voice, but um, as long as you don't have a cold because that, that changes it. But like, if you listen to Howard Stern's voice from 20 years ago, versus Howard Stern's voice now. It's completely different. He had this kind of high-pitched voice, right? I don't know what what the time frame would be, but say 20 years ago, this high-pitched kind of voice. And now he has this, you know, deep, um, deep, strong voice. And it's like, how did he train his voice to go from what it used to be to what it's now been, say, for the last 10 years? It wasn't a natural aging. It was a a concerted effort trying to do that oh, I'm to sure, his voice. And, and his voice now. But he said so. Yeah, and his voice now, like it is a, like a booming, deep, announcer voice. I'm going to do the same thing, and, and by age seventy or so, see if I can reach a, a falsetto. I'm going to do the same thing in reverse. You're going to, <laughs> you're going to try to become a falsetto. Yes. It's um, what's working in this job for me has done is sometimes if I'm. I meet someone and I hear their voice and it's like a, this deep, strong voice. I think, ooh, they have a good voice for TV or ooh, they would have a good voice for radio. Or if I hear, you know, just a sound anywhere, I'm like, ooh, if it's deep and strong, like, ah, that would be a really good announcer voice. I was at one of my least favorite places on the planet this weekend, early Sunday morning, sitting in the car in the parking lot waiting for the urgent care to open because our son in a basketball game late Saturday night, of course, after all the urgent care facilities had already closed, um, he landed hard and and hurt his wrist. So get to the urgent care probably 10 minutes before it opens, just sitting, waiting. Like two minutes before it's supposed to open, I see someone who had been also waiting. I assume like the other four or five cars in the parking lot were all patients just, you know, like me waiting to to go in after something had happened on Saturday night. You're at the urgent care Sunday morning. It Mm -hmm. hasn't opened yet. You're all waiting to get in. Yes. Did you consider being the person who went to the door and waited in front of the locked door? I did not. While while some elderly on a walker... Uh, are are lined up behind you? Yeah, no, and um, but I I, I kind of glanced at the other people in their cars, and there wasn't like an, an elderly person who you thought, all right, that person without question should be the first one to go in. It was all other people like me, moms with a with a kid, 
in the car, high school age, or there was a couple of 30-somethings that were in the car by themselves. So I'm sitting there waiting, and like two minutes before it opens, I see somebody get out of the car and just walk right in. And I look, and I see the outfit, and I realize, oh, that's like a, a tech or a nurse or somebody that works there. <laughs> and then like a minute later, I see a guy get out of his car. He'd also been sitting there for like 10 minutes. And then he goes in, and I realize that's the doctor. Like even the doctor in the tech wanted no part of walking into that urgent care a minute earlier than they had to. Well, you can imagine as they stub out their Paul Malls and their car <laughs> ashtrays, because this is 1974 in my right. mind. Right. They're like looking at their watch. Okay. It's, it's was it 8 a.m.? Uh, nine. Nine a.m. Deep sigh. Let's yeah. let's, let's let's see the human freak show today. Right. What it's it basically produces. what happened late Saturday night that these people are coming here Sunday morning. So, like a minute before it's supposed to open, I walk up to the door. And there's a sign on the door. Before you can enter, call this number. Okay. Because all of the COVID is done in the parking lot out back, right? So yeah. These are like if just... you're there for a COVID test, you drive around back. You never enter the facility. These are people bringing in novel. Test illnesses and, and oh, yeah. injuries. So I go to the thing and I see the number. And so I call and it uh, goes right to a voicemail, call, right to voicemail, call, right to voicemail. So I'm like, all right, what do I do? At this point now, it's nine o'clock. It should be open. So I open the door and there's a woman sitting there. And I said, do I need to call before I come in? And she said, do you have COVID symptoms? I said, no. What do you, she said, what are you here for? I said, my son hurt his wrist. And you could see this, like almost a smile and relief on her face. Like, oh, yay, a non-COVID-related person. She's like, oh, come on in. And then I see people getting out of their cars behind me, coming up, calling every single other person. It was They were there for a COVID test. So you know, she was telling them what they had to do, drive around back so that the people could come back, give them their COVID test, whatever. So, uh, so we were not, we were not COVID related and uh, went back and got the x-rays and whatever else um, but, but we as, needed to do. As the doctor was, was taking the x-rays or maybe moving from one examination room to the other, was he, was he eating a ham sandwich? Well, this was, this is the part. So our son and I are sitting in the waiting room and we see the guy who we had already seen go in, get up. He's in the scrubs. So you assume he's the doctor the urgent care doctor and he just leaves and this urgent care is in like a, a little mini it's not even a strip mall but a little plaza and Dunkin Donuts is two doors down so a couple minutes later before we go in we see the guy come back in so they bring us to the room and said you know the doctor will see you after the x-rays are taken so take our son over do the x-rays the door to the room I'm waiting in is open and I just look across and uh, our son comes back <laughs> into our room and so the tech comes out and he tells the doctor, uh, you know, x-rays are done. You come look at him. And the doctor gets up as he's eating his Dunkin' egg and ham sandwich or whatever it was. On a just croissant? Like, it might have been on a croissant. I think it was on an English muffin. But just like, you know, ripping it off, eating it, goes to look at the x-rays. He um, he didn't have the food in his hand when he came in to talk to us. But uh, I was just like, you forget that these people have their own little lives on Sunday morning too you know we're there to get x-rays but he he was there he he still needs to eat his breakfast before going out and testing all the folks for their COVID um it's like Dr. So, Siegel delivering a baby while while eating an, an egg and cheese on yeah, a croissant have to, I will have to find out from Dr. Siegel does he like he, when he's in the office in view of patients the etiquette just sit there 
and like eat a sandwich or does he go into his office? I mean, because of course doctors need to eat too, but I would kind of think you'd be off in a room eating your breakfast or your lunch before you came out to see the patients. I don't know. I don't know the etiquette. I do know, however, speaking of doctors, yesterday, one of our kids had a rash that looked like poison ivy. So I took a picture of it and I sent it to your sister and said, a doctor, who's a doctor and said, does this like look like poison ivy to you? And uh, she responded pretty quickly and said, yes. And she gave the reason why. Yes, I think it's poison ivy. And that was that. I just said, thank you. And then last night you informed me that it, it was, was it, it was, was her birthday. It was her birthday. And it's I never in my text never said happy birthday. It was never like I was never clobbered over the head with the realization of, oh geez, it's her birthday. Just no, a, just, a, just does a, this does this look infected to you? Just a send her a picture of a rash and ask her to diagnose it. Like It's the bane of being a doctor when your family, friends, neighbors all come uh, but what a terrible sister-in-law, like, especially because it's an hour earlier in the Midwest where she is. So she's getting a text at 7 a.m., probably thinks it's going to be one of her many friends or relatives who are considerate enough to remember that's her birthday, It'll wishing the, her a happy birthday. My first birthday text of the day. Oh, no, it's, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a look at this rash. Of a rash. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't even know what to say other than uh, I'm sorry, Amy. <laughs> and then yesterday... Monday, as we record this, I spent a couple hours doing something else that I wouldn't say I necessarily enjoy. And it was filling out all of the um, financial paperwork for, uh, college applications. for college applications. Nothing makes me want our children to attend college less than filling out the paperwork. And not because of the cost of education or anything like that, but just the, I don't know. Invasive. Yes. Incompetent. Yes. Uh, IRS uh, connectivity issues. Yes. Like, why, why, if my child is applying to a school, doesn't know if she's going to get in, and if she does get in, may not choose to go there, why does that school need our information? Why do they need our tax return from last year? I simply don't understand it. That, like that, that can't be uploaded anyway or downloaded or whatever. You oh, yeah. To there do was with some sort of issue with the IRS website yesterday. And of course, yesterday was the deadline for the schools that she was applying to. Um, but it, it I was it was infuriating. I understand if you're go if you've decided to attend a school and are applying for financial aid that, of course, you should send in all of that financial information. I don't understand in any way, shape or form why you need to do it. Um, before you've been accepted or before your child has chosen to go there. Like, I get in the big picture. I'm sure they are going to admit some kids based on that information. Um, but I, it's just so invasive and, and maddening and infuriating. And I, I was not in a good headspace yesterday as I was trying to fill it all out. And then the IRS website was sort of like not allowing certain things to happen. But um, for people who've been through this with their with their children, they understand what I'm talking about. If you haven't been through it with your kids, um, enjoy. And then I found out you have to do it every single year. So assuming she wants to become a sophomore next year, you have to fill it all out again. You're just looking at me with these dead eyes because you, you were in the other room hearing me cursing out the uh, 
the everything that was going on, but smartly just checked in on me and then went back well, to your office. All of these colleges should be doing, the process should be reversed. They're applying to us for financial aid. Right. Am I right? <laughs> Essentially, yes. Right? Yes. So why aren't they filling out the paperwork and going through th- through the frustration? Yeah. Why is why are we doing that? Yes, please, please accept our child so that we can give you all this money so she give, can give attend amount, your school. The amount of money that we have to pay you versus the amount of money that you might right. subsidize us. Right. The paperwork should be reversed. Yes. It was it my my favorite, and this wasn't for every school, but one school in particular, because you have to fill out all all the you know these. They ask all these questions, you fill out all the answers, and they send them in. But a couple schools want some additional information. My favorite was the one school who wanted to know what kind of car do you drive. That was that was a legit question that we had to answer for our daughter to apply to one school. What kind of car? Do you drive? It's like they have a tape measure and they're fitting you for a coffin because they're asking, do you have any gold fillings in your teeth? What can we take from you Right. if your child goes here and you become a proud parent of, of the, a student here and then we start shaking you for the rest of your life and the rest yeah. of her life for donations... What are we talking about here? Yeah. What kind of donations are you going to be able to give us while your child is here and then after they leave? It's, um, mm, it, 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 yesterday I was not in a, in a pleasant space. Well, if it, it, I was, and you, you said that I, I was sitting there listening to you curse from another room. I, I wasn't actually sitting there. I was doing something that, uh, can we talk about this? Well, you were you, no when yes. this was ha- no no hold on a second when when this was happening you were not in a pleasant space okay. you've been a bit grumpy lately but then when you did this thing that you're about to talk about you were in an incredible mood i wasn't home when you were i was home for some of it i guess well let me let me let me set the table as it were yes please we've lived in this house for 17 years 17 years okay yes there are uh there are eight light bulbs in this house that have never been replaced. They burned out shortly after we moved in. Probably. They've become known, they've become renowned throughout the tri-state area as the irreplaceables. Am I right? By every, you, yes. By, by me and others. Every handyman, every Mr. Fix-It, every middle-aged dad in the tri-state area who has set foot in this house, I have asked them, how would you replace those four light bulbs? Mm. How would you do it? Are you going to paint the picture of why they're well, so difficult they're, they're, to replace? They're from a light fixture, hanging in a, in a like entryway the foyer, yeah. that, that is, uh, uh, has nothing to lean a ladder against. Mm-hmm. Has the, the front door is too small to get a, a, a scissor lift in. You could presumably run scaffolding and build a uh, Michelangelo-like, Michelangelo-like uh, Sistine Chapel situation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't seem practical. And uh, and so for 16 of the 17 years we've lived here, those bulbs, those four bulbs have been burned out. Mm-hmm. And I've never gotten an answer from anybody on how you could possibly replace them. Mm-hmm. Now there are spotlights on the on the driveway 
the front of the house and on the backyard in the back of the house, spotlights attached to the house that have also been burnt out forever. Mm -hmm. Well, a couple of days ago, I was in a big box home improvement store and walked past the longest ladder I had ever seen. A-frame ladder, that is. Okay? Mm -hmm. And I went online, and I ordered the thing. And it was delivered yesterday. And it was it was a bit of a puzzle as how to get it into the house even, because, of course, you could take it straight in the front door, but then it's gone past the foyer, and you can't put it... Uh, let me, let me cut to the chase, okay? Let's cut to the chase, Let's cut yeah. to the chase. I got the giant ladder. I scaled it. I was floating in space, more or less, but still hanging onto the ladder, and I, and I replaced those bulbs mm -hmm. with the, an inch of fuzz on them, the bulbs. The old bulbs. The old bulbs. Mm -hmm. The old bulbs from, a, from, a, from a, a time when light bulbs were different. Right, that's true. A different kind of light bulb. Yeah. They weren't LED. They were regular they were, they were, old light bulbs. This, this, these were Thomas Edison light bulbs. And I had also purchased a sort of feather duster thing. Mm -hmm. And I dusted off the remaining light bulbs. And People should know that the light bulbs like, were facing towards the facing ceiling. Up to, facing yeah. up. Yeah. So you had to reach above these little sconce things and, and unscrew them and screw them in. Mm -hmm. And then I got one of those telescopic light bulb changers, things with a little basket at the end. Mm -hmm. And I went outside. I, I've never believed that these things could possibly work. They can't. They look ridiculous. Mm -hmm. And I got the little cage at the end of it over the light bulb, the floodlight outside above mm -hmm. the driveway. Yeah. And I turned, turned, and the cage came off on top of the light bulb. The mm -hmm. light bulb stayed in, and the cage came off. Okay. So now we have a caged light bulb. Mm -hmm. above the driveway. Well, I was able to get the, the telescopic stick into the back into the cage, screw it back into the, the stick back into the cage, and then remove the light bulb. Mm -hmm. I did that four times for the four floodlights. Mm -hmm. And now we have a beautifully floodlit backyard, a beautifully floodlit driveway, and a beautifully lit foyer. Mm. When I got home with and, the kids, oh, are we done? Oh, oh, I'm sorry. I was I, I was going to continue with oh, with this. Well, I, and and I, I just want to let every handyman, fix it, and <laughs> father in the tri-state area know that the what irreplaceables known for twenty years the irreplaceables yeah have been replaced. When when I got home from school from picking the kids up from school, you had all of the old light bulbs lined up on the counter, trophies, so you could show the kids what you had done and a um, couple things. One, you, you don't spend a ton of time in the hardware store. You think if you were a guy who spent more time in the big box hardware store, you would have walked by those ladders sooner and the the metaphorical light bulb would have gone off over your head and you would have thought, ah, it, it isn't, that's a big old ladder. I could change I, our light bulb. Would I that. want to climb it? Would I want to climb that ladder? Well, that's a whole it, other conversation. It, it's, it's the kind of ladder you would jump off of into a tiny little pool in a circus. Mm. So, yes, they they were done. It makes me think of... Um, and, you, and our kids, you brought the kids home, and they didn't notice. They didn't know that those bulbs had ever been burnt out, and they didn't notice any more light in that room. The four 40-watt bulbs 
what is that? I'm not good at math. 160 mm-hmm. extra watts. You know who's going to notice is next year in Halloween when I end up giving kids a single Rolo at a time. Since it'll be well lit, they'll now see um, what they're getting. But but you talking about the ladder makes me think of years and years ago I was playing in like a celebrity golf tournament. And Bobby Bonilla was my partner. He was playing for the New York Mets at the time. Still being paid by the New York Mets. Still being paid by the Mets. And I really enjoyed him. He, he was a good guy to play golf with. And he was talking to me about he had a daughter who I think was in high school. And he said, you know, he's talking to me that she was really tall, t- really tall, over six feet. And he, he was saying, but she's beautiful. He said, she's tall, but she's going to be worth the climb. So I'm asking you this l- large, large ladder. And now that you see the light fixture, was it worth the climb? It was worth the climb. The, the, the problem is, where do you store it? I know actually exactly where we're going to store okay. it in the garage. I've got right. a spot for it. Excellent. But, um, but yes, you, you, were, you were a light bulb changing um, fiend and And, uh, we appreciated the effort that you put in you'll recall that that when we bought the house and had that light fixture installed the guy said for an extra thousand dollars which is not a phrase you ever want to hear right for an extra thousand dollars i can put it on a a light switch that will lower the thing and then you can change the bulbs easily for for a thousand dollars i'll i'll buy myself 10 ladders and do it myself. And of course, I never did that. No, you didn't. But uh, but now we have this nice ladder that allows you to change those light bulbs and uh, and the ones outside. So kudos. That's all I'm looking for. I know. Shall we get to viewer mail? Yeah, let's get to viewer mail. Big bad look, throw our lure. Reel us in with your viewer mail. First viewer mail comes in from... Uh, Kathy, our resident psychiatric nurse. Oh, hey, Kathy. Here is this from last week? Because there were a couple of been a holdover males. from the, yeah, I think from the it previous is. week. Um, but as as your resident psychiatric nurse, she writes, I'm aware of what a large part mental health place places on an athlete's performance. Mental health awareness is growing due to athletes like Simone Biles and many others publicly acknowledging private issues. Um, on a much smaller scale than Simone Biles, writes Kathy, and my 12-year-old granddaughter Lily runs cross-country for uh, Litchfield Track Club. She's a great runner with a very competitive spirit, undefeated in all of her middle school meets this season. Uh, since she was four, she's been saying she's going to run in the Olympics. She runs five and 10K races with her mother and sometimes her very slow grandmother, me. She usually finishes first in her age group, uh, has even run several half marathons and broken two hours. Wow, that's fantastic. Yeah. Her goal is to run in the 2028 Olympics in L.A. when she's 18. This past weekend, she ran in the middle school state finals at Wickham Park. Ah, good for her. Her first big meet, she didn't do great, running much slower than she was capable of. Her, Per her report after the race, she totally psyched herself out and lost the race in her own head before she started. She was very upset with herself. Fast forward to after the race, Rebecca. She was walking with her coach, who introduced her to your father. Ah. Legendary. A Connecticut cross-country coach, Dennis Lobo. Dennis J. Lobo track is in Granby, Connecticut. Uh, I'm not sure exactly what he said to her, but it was something about everyone has a bad race once in a while, was impressed with what she had been running, and when she told him she likes half marathons better than short races, he laughed. He made her feel so much better about a bad day, so please thank him for me. She also couldn't wait to call Grandma, who had already left Wickham Park, to brag about meeting Rebecca Lobo's father. Rebecca, uh, did your father ever encourage you in any way? Uh, in your in your athletic <laughs> career, or was it all uh, reminders to be on your toes while shooting your free throws? Well, he definitely would always yell, "On your toes, be on your toes." When I was in college, and then even when we would come to WNBA games, um, I remember 
when I was in high school being like shocked when some of my teammates would tell me how their parents would, um, after a game, just on the ride home, um, like talk to them constantly about what they did wrong. Because when I pl- played AAU basketball, we had about an hour and a half car ride on the weekends to go to practice. And my dad would be the one who would drive me there and back. And he would take me to games. My mom would come to games too. Never once, never once did either of my parents say, you know, you need to do this better. And they knew, my dad knew basketball. Or, you know, you need to do this, you need to do that, you need to do this. Never once. So um, he said plenty of encouraging words to me, I believe. But I don't think he ever um, tried to coach me when I was a kid. He was just my, my dad. Well, as Kathy writes, a little bit of support can go a long way. And your father saying the right thing, whatever it was, to a distressed young girl made a great deal of difference in her day. Thank you, Dennis Lobo. Yay, Dad. Uh, Roger, our waving Colorado cyclist, writes, um, Hi, gang. Catching up on podcasts again after a few weeks of crazy work and caught your discussion on the grating of beef. <laughs> All right. Let's hear some more. First and foremost, beef grating is a voluntary grade put on beef with the highest being prime and the lowest you will usually get in a grocery store being select. There are five below that, standard, low quality, lacking marbling, commercial, low quality, lacks tenderness, and usually older animals. And below that, and below that you have utility, cutter, and canner, used mainly for canning and, and things like cold cuts. Canner. Canner. The canner grade of beef. Mm, I don't know that I would buy that. Is that the stuff you shove in cans? Yeah, used mainly for canned meat. Canned. What is canned meat? Like you've got spam, um, and you've got deviled ham. I remember on occasion my parents would make us deviled ham sandwiches when would, we were would, kids, and they were pretty good actually. Would, would they buy ham and then devil it? No. But like it, you know, it was it was a weird can because it was smaller than tuna fish, but fatter, instead of like a little bit bigger diameter and skinnier. It was smaller diameter and fatter. Um, I don't know what they put in it, like mayonnaise or something. I don't know. But I remember it being decent. We wouldn't have it very often. It was probably when like the actual deli meat ran out. They, you know, my mom probably had some of that in the in the pantry just in case. But uh, what other meats do you spam. can? Yeah, spam and deviled ham. What else? Well, can you can you can like beef meats? Those are both pork meats. Beef right? meats. Yeah. What are can beef you, meats? Well, like from from like cow. Can you can you can cow cow beef or just pork beef can you, or pork? Can, I guess it wouldn't be pork beef. Can you eat canned meat while listening to canned heat? That's my question. <laughs> if you buy foie gras. Does that come in a can? <laughs> can you buy canned foie gras? Foie gras? I just wanted I think you to say foie gras. Foie, foie gras. Uh, canned heat. You know, the, you know the band Canned Heat? Yo, I'm going up the country. You know, from the Geico commercial, the, the motorcycle insurance commercial? Yeah. Going up the country. You know what I'm talking about? Not really, no. I could talk grades of beef all day with Roger, the waving Colorado cyclist. Canned Canner. Cutter, canner. then canner. The, the lowest two grades of, of beef. Now, I Rebecca. At the, I was at the grocery store today, and mm. I got some beef. Mm-hmm. And neither of it was cutter, nor was it canner. Well, as as Roger says, uh, uh, the lowest you'll usually find in grocery stores is select. Mm. Now, Rebecca writes, Roger, being a Yukon grad is probably familiar with tales of the jungle cafeteria and how bad the food was there. I never ate in the jungle cafeteria. 
Did you not eat there because you heard the food was bad? No, I didn't eat there because it was all the way across campus. Oh, well, Roger had a work-study job for one semester in the Jungle Cafe, and besides working the tray line, absolutely disgusting BT dubs, I also helped unload the trucks bringing our food. He puts food in in, uh, ironic quotation marks. Bringing in our food. Well, it was going to be one of our special, again, quotation marks, meals where we got roast beef, again, quotation marks, which people always wondered how these things with obvious veins and arteries, gristle and things we never really identified, actually took up more space on the plate than the meat part of the slice actually were considered special. But we did look forward to the powdered mashed potatoes and gravy, at least powdered mashed potatoes and gravy. Mm -hmm. I did find out just how great the quality of our special meal was as I helped unload the truck. As we were pulling off the crates, I was not that amazed to see that it was commercial grade, but what floored me was the stamps on the crates that stated, fit for human consumption. Oh, Fit, not unfit. Right. Fit for human consumption. That still, does that need to be said? It's, it seems... It's like the do- our daughter's edible cookie dough. It seems the least you can do is right. make it fit for human consumption. True. What what uh, you ate in that restaurant? How was the food? You know what I uh, the best I can say for it was it was fit for human consumption, or as 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 uh, my father would say, whenever I've recommended anything to him, edible. In fact, he was here in Connecticut a couple of years ago, and we went out and I recommended he try the local, a local, a relatively local beer, Narragansett. Mm-hmm. Hey neighbor, have a Gansett. He drank the Narragansett. And uh, I asked him if he liked it, and he said, the best thing I can say for it is it's not habit-forming. <laughs> <laughs> How I survived three years eating that food, writes Roger, although happy hours at Rosal's, R-O-S-A-L-S, Ted's, Husky's, Bickford Tavern, and other watering holes helped. I don't know Rosal's. I know Ted's, Husky's, and uh, Bickford Tavern, but not Rosal's. Well, anyway, Roger, thank you. The canner. I'll, I'll think of, uh, of canned meat the next time I... The next, next time, time I, you what? When I, are you going to think of canned the meat? The next time I hear canned heat. Okay. Probably the next time I hear a guy cook commercial. Uh, Denise writes, um, Greetings from a very wet PNW. We were enjoying catching up on your podcast on a day trip to the Nordic Museum in Ballard, Washington, and were surprised to hear you read my first email to you that I wrote last May. On air, for the second time. <laughs> Come on. I, no idea. Sometimes, Come on. sometimes, sometimes the Gmail I get very confused. Oh my gosh! See, you, you know what I'm saying? This is the thing. I, I meant to say this before when you were talking about changing light bulbs. This is one of the things that just like annoys me further about the stupid college application process. Is you have a college degree. And it took you 16 years to figure out how to change that light bulb. Like, why don't they teach that sort of stuff? How why don't ma- they teach you how to not read the same email a year apart? How many, I, A, I wonder how many viewers noticed. And B, how many Steves does it take to screw in a light bulb? Only one, but it takes them 17 years. <laughs> to figure it out. Like, I mean, if we're sending our kids off to college... You know, I, I want them to learn and to be well-rounded and more important than all of that, just be around people from varying backgrounds and all of that, you know, eye-opening, important 
um, part of the growth process, but damn it, also teach them how to change a light bulb that's hanging from a chandelier. Teach them how to change their air filter. Teach them how to do laundry and like that kind of stuff too. We, there should be a survival course. Has nothing to do with the outdoors. How do you survive as a human being indoors um, in the 2020s? That's all. Okay. Well Go said. Ahead. Uh, Denise correctly points out it was undoubtedly swapped with an email that I sent on 1015. I'm curious if any of your completionists noticed the repeat. I do want to clarify one thing from my first email, and I'm not sure which email we're talking about here, Rebecca, but let's go. Okay. One, you are right, Rebecca. My aunt would pronounce jello with the emphasis on the O. Jello. Jello. Which is just, I mean, that's just weird. Unfathomable. That's something else I should teach you in college. How do you pronounce jello? Darn it. I mean, this is the right way. Uh, and and speaking of darn it, how to darn socks, darn it. Okay. Well, right? it's not worth the effort. No, if we're, if we're combining uh, a darning, darn it, and light bulbs, my mom had like a solid looking light bulb in her sewing kit that she would darn socks on. She darned socks all the time. She did. I know, I'm sure she did. Because socks. we put holes in socks all the time. Yeah. Okay. Like... Uh, I don't think it's worth the effort, although like our, our daughter got this pair of socks for a gift that she loves that has Ro- Rosie the Riveter on them. She wore them a couple times and they got a hole. Like those are the kind of socks that you it'd be worth darning because she loves them and doesn't want to just replace them with plain white socks. Is there more from our from? Well, no, I'm just thinking of Father McKenzie darning his socks in the night when there's nobody there. Mm. What does he care? Billy Joel. Oh, for Pete's sake, Rose, Rose, Rebecca. Yes. For Pete's sake, Rebecca. Yes. Eleanor Rigby. Oh, I I needed a little. I needed a few more bars. Oh. Where were we? Um, in the Pacific Northwest. Oh yes, Northwest. yes. I'm sorry. We're in the PNW. Um, I may need to make some Jello over the holidays in her honor, and I will use a liquid measuring cup. Research may prove otherwise, but I cannot let go of my belief that a dry measuring cup is different than a wet measuring cup. Two. I also wrote in October to let you know that my offer to swap a, a hand knit hat for some swag still holds. This is incredible. You're such a no, 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 no. What's incredible is swag. Uh, Denise. I swear to God, because I recognize the address, mm-hmm. there is an envelope with your name and address on it, with swag in it, in the car. door pocket of my car, where You're it's been for, for the, a month. I need, I, I need to get ma- stamp. machinable stamps. Hand stamps. Machinable right? stamps. No, a hand stamp is something you get when you when you want to leave the, right, well, the nightclub. We, okay. Pardon? <laughs> okay. Okay. How long has it been in your car? for over a month. Okay, maybe that's another thing they teach in college. What? How to expeditiously how, how to, get an item how, how from your, your house to the post office how to make your that's own, two miles away. How to make your own machinable stamps without no, going to the post office? No, no okay. how to walk into the post office okay. and take care of business. Okay. He walked into the post office and took care of business. <laughs> yes. All right. All right, moving on. Uh, this is, comes from Steve uh, formerly Stevens, S-T-E-P-H-E-N, with a P-H. This is from Steve, nay, Stephen, with a P-H, having descended from a long line of Lutheran clergy. Okay. okay. You got that? I got it. Dear Steve and Rebecca, writes Stephen, Steve, writes Steve, former Stephen. The artist formerly known as Stephen. 
Greetings once again from the Twin Cities, where tonight the gales of November have arrived with brisk wind. You recognize the Edmund Fitzgerald, uh, Gordon Lightfoot reference there, mm-hmm. Rebecca? I do. And uh, I, Billy and Joel? If you had just said it, I probably would have asked if it was Billy Joel. Correct. Where tonight the gales of November have arrived with brisk winds, heavy rainfall, and darkness by 5.30 p.m. As I compose this on what is the 46th anniversary of the sinking of the Edmund Fitzgerald, it brings me back to my youth and our trips to Duluth. It rhymes beautifully. It I think. Does, I think. Yes. Uh, Gordon Lightfoot would be proud. I think Michael has a has a competitor. Uh, to watch the ships pass under the famous lift bridge and certainly of the grip that the sinking of the Fitz had on those of us who grew up vacationing on the shores of Lake Superior on the big lake they call Gitchagumi. This is me adding that, Rebecca. Mm-hmm. Clearly a big shout-out goes to the great singer-songwriter Gordon Lightfoot for cementing the Fitzgerald's place in the public consciousness. Yes, it was just recently the 46th anniversary of the sinking of the Edmund Fitzgerald, Rebecca. On your November 2nd podcast, Atlanta's DGS indicated that my previous week's letter had caused him to lose control of his push-up midstream, so to speak. So to speak. So to speak. What did he lose? What of midstream? It's push-up. Okay. So first of all, please convey my apologies for that. However, it does seem that he emerged unscathed and also that the loss of muscle control was due to laughter. So all's well. Steve, perhaps you remember the famous Monday Night Football incident from the Houston Oilers-Oakland Raiders game in 1972 when the camera panned to an incredibly bored fan in the stands and there on live television streamed directly into our homes with no delay. The man casually flew the bird at exactly the proper half-mast position. I remember it well. It was replayed uh, uh, frequently on uh, TV's kind of greatest bloopers and, um, and it was perfectly timed. The guy was genuinely bored and, and the bird flip was uh, met with Hysterics from Danny Don Meredith, if I recall. As to the cul-de-sac versus circle debate, ours was a circle. It was the center of our neighborhood and the place where we gathered to play ball, race our bikes, or make plans for the day. I miss it and the scruffy kids who frequented it, and we never worried about the proper French plural. Uh, I think there were always circles in Minnesota. I never heard of anybody call it a cul-de-sac, and if they did, they would have been uh, put in their place When's the last time you, like we are... 100 yards from the top of our hill, which is the cul-de-sac. I haven't seen the cul-de-sac in months because I don't drive past our house. I pull into our driveway. It's the okay. last time you saw the cul-de-sac. Kind of a crazy person would drive past our house. No, no, no. But Every, still, I'll we got you, this little circle at the top. You know, it's not that far I'll, from us. I'll tell you when I see the cul-de-sac on occasion. Occasionally, I will drive past our house, mm-hmm. which is on the right side of the street, mm-hmm. go around the cul-de-sac, and come back to our house. Now, on my left... So I can get the mail without getting out of the car. Seriously. Let that sink in. I've let it sink in. As I look at your pants that have bleach stains at the bottom of bleach. them. They're, they're, okay. There's some yes, bleach splatters yeah. at the bottom yeah. of your pants. That's a uh, shock. Pool yes. shock. That's another thing they should teach in college. How to How'd... dump chemicals into a pool without it splattering up bleaching the pants that your wife got you last year for your birthday. Ordinarily, I put on shorts. These are the pants you got me last year for my birthday. Two years ago, maybe three. These pants are at least 10 years old. They're not 10 years old. They're frayed at the bottom. They they absolutely are. Okay. The the pants your wife got you 10 years ago for your birthday. Well, I I appreciate it. Now they look look (laughs) like a man has done work in them. Finally, writes Stephen with a Ph., Steve, formerly Stephen, finally on the subject of the BNC correspondence dinner slash gathering, can we please make it happen? It would appear that there is more than just a smattering of interest, well, with tickets having been purchased and hotels booked. That being the case, you'll need a local representative to help organize and plan. I'm happy to do so. See, we have boots on the ground, Rebecca. We do. 
uh, say the word, I don't know, probably not boots, but uh, got somebody loafers. there. Loafers. Loafers on the ground. Say the word, like my loafers, former gophers. He is, he's possibly is a former gopher. Could be. Uh, I'm happy to do so. Say the word and I'll set up a dedicated email for RSVPs. I think he, what he means is R, RS, V's RS, SVP. Would it be ours? Ours SVP? Yeah, the responses would be the ours. Okay. This SVP is the seafood play. It's also an anchor at ESPN. I think I think RSVP preceded Scott Van Pelt in the I vernacular. Think you're right, yeah. Uh, dedicated email for RSVP. Assist in finding a suitable venue and generally set the stage for what could be a lot of fun. As always, from the northern suburbs of the Greater Twin Cities Metroplex, I remain your intrepid correspondent, Steve. Steve, a thanks so much for that kind offer. If uh, if this um, dirigible ever gets off the ground. He'll be our man in the Twin Cities, don't you think, Rebecca? I think so. Um, so let's uh, think more seriously about that. Dear Rebecca and Steve, writes Chris in Connecticut, I'm only 17 minutes into the most recent episode and I had to pull over to a parking lot and write. As the two of you waxed poetically about trophy cases with 50-year-old soccer balls and gyms with kickballs in the rafters, I was struck by how the two of you fondly, uh, how fondly the two of you spoke about them. Rebecca brought up the felt banners. Uh, you remember what we were talking about, Rebecca? I was talking about if you clean them and who's in charge of it and that sort of thing. The interesting thing about the felt banners is they're, they're really unfelt banners. <laughs> because unless you have the 16-foot ladder that I do. Then you can't feel them. Yes. Uh, I teach at my alma mater, and until a few years ago, we had similar but not identical felt championship batters dating back to the 40s and the previous school building. However, they were never cleaned. Never cleaned. Either dry cleaned or martinized. 80 years. Neither cleaned, dry cleaned, nor martinized. Our previous athletic director made the decision to replace the hand-stitched banners with vinyl printed ones because of their age and that they had never been cleaned. While the new banners look great, my heart broke when those old banners were removed. My brother happened to play on a state championship football team almost 30 years ago, and as the custodial staff was instructed to dispose of the old banners... What? I salvaged that team's banner. While I was in middle school, those boys were my heroes and stood out to myself and my peers as the standard to measure ourselves against. Well, of course they did. Vinyl? Who replaces the beautiful felt banners with vinyl? Well, well having, made the, ha- having made that decision, who, who, who throws them away? Them? Uh, dispose I don't know. Of them. I don't know. But why not just clean them? There's got to be a way to clean them. Yeah, there's, you, you know how you clean them? You lie them flat and you vacuum them. Could be. I don't know. I find something very offensive about this. I mean, I'm, 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 I'm a little. I don't know. I'm, I'm shook. All right. Well, is there more? Well, there is more. But, but, but I want to, I want to linger on Chris's point that these, when I was in middle school, these boys were my heroes. Well, of course. Of course. I grew up in the. The town of three high schools. Lincoln was our high school. My oldest brother played sports there. We would hear the, even before we went to high school football games, we would hear the marching band play and could see the lights from our house. I mean, they were every bit as, as heroic as the Vikings or, or anybody else that I followed. Of course. Some kids on the bus had a Bloomington Kennedy hat. Some kids on the bus had a Bloomington Jefferson hat. Some kids on the bus had Bloomington Lincoln hats. And we were Lincoln, green. Kennedy was... Navy blue and gold. Jefferson was light blue, whatever. Whatever they they had some name for their blue, Jaguar blue or something. But but 
the fact is, of course, I mean, while I digress, writes Chris, I must say that, Steve, I would love to read a long-form article of you reflecting on high school gyms that it seemed you were starting until I can only assume your throat hurt too much. Um, I, I, you know what? I, I, I'm getting a lot of feelings about this right now, Rebecca. As you should be. Rebecca writes, Chris, you did wonderfully standing in and reading viewer mail. My parents, like your mom for your brother, taught my CCD classes while I was in high school. Classes were in my home. It was both convenient and inconvenient as your parents led those classes. I wonder if your brother had a similar experience. Thank you for the podcast each week. I hope you all have a happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving to you too, Chris. Well, Chris, did, but did you have a, a kid riding a unicycle to your CCD classes? I'm guessing my brother has got him on that on that one. Even in the snow, did he ride? I don't think he snow? rode it in the snow. Mm. What do you think? You think he rode it in the snow? I doubt it. Yeah. Um, lastly. Yes. Dr. Gary Siegel. I'm a little bit grumpy. I, I, you know what got me grumpy was talking about those stupid financial aid college application forms. And then this throwing away of the banners for vinyl has put me in a mood. Another one. Well, I don't okay. like it at all. Put up the vinyl banners if you must. But you must. You know why you, you must? You mustn't. Of course you mustn't. But having done that, and we don't know the full story. Vinyl banners are what you put up in the 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 cruddy basketball gyms that you play AAU in with all the sponsors listed on the vinyl. It's not what you put up in a high school. Come on, be better than that. You don't put up vinyl. This is this is this is felt banners has never been a, a, a more appropriate phrase because I am feeling these felt banners that evidently were unfelt banners because they were disposed of. I, I, we don't know that they were disposed of. Chris says they were instructed to have been I but, don't, disposed but, of doesn't mean they were put into landfill. But that's just like the cherry on the top of the of of the iniquity. That's not even the right word. It, the, it sounds good though. Yeah. For, don't You don't replace felt banners with vinyl. Period. And then if you're going to do that which you don't you know, throw away the banners. But I can't even get past the first part of it to replace the felt with the vinyl. You just you, you don't put up do a vinyl it. banner if you're it's if offensive. You're, if you're opening a jersey, Mike's. Yeah. Or if, like but, at, but or, or or you're at your little league field and Jersey Mike's is the sponsor. All right, there's a felt. There's a, a, a vinyl banner. The felt banner for the 1947 state high school football champions is is the only appropriate. Of course. Okay. Well, uh, let's get the Doctor Siegel, shall we? Let's get the Doctor no, Siegel. No he'll bring some. He'll bring some joy to my day. He'll. he'll uh, let's see. Uh, dear Rebecca and Steve, I had the opportunity to enjoy the pod while driving to Atlanta from Charleston, where the missus and I were treated to a long weekend as part of a corporate board retreat. I'm on the board that we attend annually. Nice. So uh, a nice corporate boondoggle for Doctor Siegel. I have a board meeting today that I'm calling into, and um. Dr. Siegel's the type of person I think that if I was attending a board meeting, I'd want to sit next to and make snide comments throughout the meeting. You'd comment, you'd be the two in the back of the, the uh, yeah. bus on the field trip. Yep. I can't recall the last time that I smiled so wide as compared to when I heard the notes from Chris from suburban New England, who kindly congratulated me on the Braves World Championship, and from Julianne, please help me with the spelling, the erudite and mature kid reporter who simply dazzled the viewers with her keen insight within her correspondence as well as her polite writing style, parentheses, Mr. Gallagher, Mr. and Mrs. Russian, Mr. DGS, and so forth. I'm a big fan of the Mr. and the Mrs. from children. Absolutely. I think it's the only way to go. Uh, that's why I insist 
our own children call me Mr. Russian. <laughs> Especially when you change light bulbs like you did. Absolutely. She is the obvious choice for the pod's kid reporter, just as sure as Holly belongs on Mount Rushmore. Rebecca, uh, just as an aside, we have to get Julianne a, an assignment. Oh, yeah. I thought you were going to say we have to get rid of the pumpkin with Mount Rushmore, but it's, well, not, we do ha- have it's to hanging do well. in pretty well. But yes, we do have to get her an assignment. Yeah. So, honestly... Uh, honesty compels me to mention that before we left the luxury hotel in Charleston, the luxury hotel in Charleston, we splurged on a room service breakfast while packing. While I had traditional fare, i.e. eggs, toast, etc., Mrs. DGS, not the big breakfast eater, enjoyed a fruit platter, coffee, and wait for it, a croissant. <laughs> this, now, this, foie gras this now explains the do- Dr. Siegel's uh, email header, which is New Kid Reporter, best letter ever, and a chance for Steve to use his outrageous French accent. Thank his you, outrageous Dr. French Siegel. accent. And that's made me feel slightly better. Outrageous has a couple of meanings, of course, provoking outrage mm. and just Ridiculous. sort of, uh, just sort of, uh, you know, out there in the yeah. avant-garde. Mm-hmm. I don't know what he means, the letter. The French word for outrageous, by the way? Yeah. Scandaleux. Seriously? Yeah, scandalous. Scandaleux. Scandaleux. Yes, scandalous. Okay. Ready? Yes. Uh, one, I do have a couple of odds and ends to cover best, of course, in the list format that is so popular among the viewers and staff of the Ball and Chain podcast. One, Joe Simpson, a former Major League Baseball player, has been a color commentator on Braves Radio for decades. While I watched the playoff games on TV, the sound was muted so that I could hear the hometown announcer's radio broadcast that also includes play-by-play broadcasters Jim Powell and Ben Ingram. However... Since Joe keeps double-stuffed Oreos handy in case he needs to eat a few to start a Braves rally, rest assured that not only did I eat a specific, not only did I eat specific meals and perform during winning, during winning games four and six unplanned cesarean sections. So he performed, he ate specific meals and performed unplanned C-sections during right. the Braves games four right. and game six wins. Yes. Um, I also had double-stuffed Oreos. Nearby, just in case they were needed. I chose not to wear pearls, a la outfielder Jack Peterson, although many fans apparently did. So this may answer a question that we raised in the podcast, Dr. Siegel now answering them in real time mm-hmm. from the previous week's email. Mm-hmm. Perhaps he is eating double stuff Oreos while while performing unplanned cesarean sections. I don't think he is. You don't think so? No. We'll find out. Yeah. Two, Rebecca asked about TVs in the operating room. Simply put, there has never been a TV broadcast in any operating room in which I've operated, although procedures that I do with scopes are visualized by all the monitors in the room. I do admit that in the early 90s, I bought a CD player for the operating room, and it never quite caught on with me, even though many surgeons and or staff have music playing in the room nowadays from a computer and speakers in the room. Anytime in a movie that, that there's a surgeon, it's classical music, right? Because he's such an such a uh, sophisticated... Yeah, I don't think like uh, hip-hop would give you the... Same feel. You know what, what what song I would play? What? Operator. <laughs> of course you would. Right? Yeah. Uh, or Weird Al's Like a Surgeon. <laughs> Even better. We should come up with a playlist next week for Dr. Siegel's uh, a mix CD I'll in the operating room. Okay. Because I'll just pick songs from Billy Joel. And, and I'll just forget about it. But it's mm-hmm. an idea. The surgeon can accommodate staff playlists or choices or specify what music that he, she, they prefer. When I brought some brought home the CD player, the children snatched it right up. Uh, Dr. Siegel has an asterisk saying, I'm okay with the new pronoun thing, but I have trouble applying it and maintaining reasonable grammar. I think that is a challenge, Dr. Yeah, Siegel. Yeah, but I, he tried it right there. Did you, I noticed. Did you notice? The he, of course she I day? noticed. Good, for, like, good try. Good try. Good, good success. Yes, he's, he 
It's Dr. Siegel. He's DGS. I man. know. I understand, though. It, it is it is hard because your brain for all of these years has looked at a person as a singular he or she. And then, because I have to do this sometimes with broadcasting on games, it's so hard to shift to a they when you're talking about a single and person. And singular mascots, so Arsenal. In England, they will say Arsenal are in fourth place. Yeah. Here we would say Arsenal is, but I still use the Arsenal are because I'm used to that. That's still so much easier than the they pronoun right. for a single person. Three, brief Formula One update. Max Verstappen in the Red Bull Honda has taken a slim lead in the championship with seven-time and perennial champion Sir Lewis Hamilton of Mercedes charging back with a spectacular win in Brazil last week. Sir Lewis had been penalized for taking a new internal combustion engine. The number of power units and power unit components are limited to lower costs and for having an 85.2 millimeter gap in his rear wing with 85 millimeters being the maximum allowed by regulations. You catching that, Rebecca? Yep. I hope that other viewers watched the race and enjoyed it as much as I did. For lastly, I have to ask, with Steve having been horse last week and with Rebecca reading the viewer mail, how did I get the honor of having Steve read my missive in his dulcet, very whitish tone? I, I think I just grew impatient with you, Rebecca, and, and a so. little covetous of the of the viewer mail. But also, I and, mean, I, and I wrested the the laptop from you. You've uh, pitched a perfect game when it comes to reading Doctor Siegel's emails, so I wanted to let you continue. You you bring in the closer that. to read the closer. Is that yes. what you're saying? Yeah. Uh, as always, thanks for an hour of sanity in our insane lives. All the best, Gary. Uh, Gary, right back at you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm going to make sure that I leave my irritability in the basement. It's going to be a bright, sunshiny day the rest of the way today. And uh, thank you, Denny Gallagher, for uh, I'm sure what's going to be an amazing job editing this podcast. And uh, Tom, Dick, Harry, play us out. Saying says no pain, no gain, and we found that to be fact. The road might twist and turn a bit, but we all arrive intact. Mr. Mom and Mrs. Dad having each other's back. Day by day, just to keep it sane. Who's the ball and who's the chain? It's hard to tell right here on Happiness Lane. Six of us and the family pet live in cuckoo nest. Daily grind puts sanity to a daily test. Androgynous and vigorous, what we give for a little rest. Stay by day just to keep it sane. Who's the ball and who's the chain? It's hard to tell right here on Happiness Lane. It's hard to tell right here on Happiness Lane. Hard to tell right here on Happiness Lane.